Close my eyes and consider all that has brought me to this very moment. I travel between time and space, leaving Brooklyn, New York, and I land on the shores of Ouida in Benin, West Africa. Waves upon waves of the Atlantic Ocean crash the shore in a hypnotic, cyclical fashion, and I remember. I am the first in my family after my ancestors forced departure from West Africa hundreds of years ago to return. I pay homage to them whose names are known but mostly forgotten. Two and a half years ago, I stepped forward to complete a spiritual pilgrimage. I stepped forward, breaking the spells which had been cast upon our bodies, minds, and souls. There were ancestral whispers my spirit could no longer ignore. There were myths of deities seeking to anoint her children born across the waters. I opened my eyes and I say thank you. Merci, bonjour, merci, loyal, merci, zonsetway, merci. Greetings and welcome to Voodoo Roots, a love story musical, a new podcast series. This show is an intimate audio narrative journey about my life and my relationship with voodoo and other traditional African religions explored with love and through music, all types of music. Yes, this is a rudical show and I take liberties to repurpose songs and explore them within a new context. We have great guest appearances from all over the world, and collectively we explore Voodoo's historical survival, cultural impact, universal values, arts and healing modalities. This podcast series creates new narratives that both strengthen Voodoo's survival and revival. On this show, it's all love. My name is Regine Romain, and I am a storyteller. I am accountable to those who came before me, the living, and to those who follow to promote tolerance and understanding about traditional African religions and spiritual traditions. The world's psyche is awash in distorted perspectives of voodoo and its practitioners. My endeavor is to stoke the collective imagination and keep alive new ways of seeing. And for the many who do not know and are wondering, what is voodoo? Voodoo is the root of our beginning.
It is an ancient traditional West African religion that originates with the Ewe of Togo and the Fon of Benin, formerly Daome. Voodoo derives from the Fon language expression of Vobodon, which means draw energy from the source of creation fearlessly and to always honor your God. Voodoo is the power and creator of all things, and it is one of the oldest religions, spiritual systems known to humankind. The spiritual beliefs are grounded in a monotheistic faith with intermediary deities, angels, spirits, laws that serve as guides for humans. Basically, the Almighty created these other spirit forces to assist us. You know, the big G sometimes is busy. So we have our angels, we have our deities, and they serve as the go-between. The spirits can be contacted through possession and divination, and at such time they offer messages, warnings, and blessings from the spiritual world. For every aspect of the human condition, there is a path, and voodoo offers a guide, an action plan for everyday survival. Since the 15th century, practitioners of voodoo have endured global religious persecution due to ethnocentric prejudice, biases, hatred, and stupidity. Millions of Africans became prisoners of war and were transported by the way of the horrific transatlantic slave trade, the largest forced migration in global history. Voodoo was successfully maintained though its power was seen as a threat to the institution of slavery and consequently systematically demonized, with many practitioners punished through beatings, dismemberment, and public executions. Amazingly, voodoo endured, and though forcibly hidden, bloomed throughout the Americas and the Caribbean. It also bloomed in me. Timun Kisot Lot Boglo, Jaspera, child from the other side of the water, is what I'm often called by Haitian folks born on the island. Growing up in the Washington, D.C. suburbs of Laurel, Maryland, during the 70s, was a somewhat insular experience. There really weren't too many Haitians that were around at that time, just a few of us. Me? Well, I'm the fabulous middle child with two sisters, Ingrid and Natasha. We were all fluent in Creole and French back then, and we learned the Queen's English from Sesame Street. My parents, André and Gladys, were typical Caribbean immigrants with their varied beliefs and fears about America. And with their ambiguous green card status, my sisters and I were told as we got older to never, ever answer the door. My parents even had a special knock that went a little something like this. So my sisters and I did as we were told, at least in that regard, and never answered the door unless we heard our parents' special knock. But one Saturday, there was a knock at the door. And since our parents were home, my sisters and I just went about our business thinking nothing of it. Slowly, we began to notice that there was regular knocking happen at the door every Saturday morning while we watched Scooby-Doo or Schoolhouse Rock while we were learning about the bill just sitting on Capitol Hill. By the time the 80s came around, my sisters and I all understood Creole, but now we spoke mostly English. 
My older sister was into fashion and boys. My younger sister loved the TV. And me? Well, I was heavily into my books and music. I read Dostoevsky, Bronte, Shakespeare, and my weekly supply of historical or harlequin romance novels. Yes, I am a romantic at heart, and anyone who knows me knows that. I especially love those steamy silhouette desire books that I got from the adult section of the library. I had convinced my father that I needed the library card with no restrictions because some of my advanced reading for school was in that adult section. Hey, a kid's got to do what she's got to do. And I had to express, you know, my, my love. I had to find a way. And so, you know, I had Haitian parents. Most of my musical influences began with my father's extensive eight-track collection of Caribbean, African, South American jazz and classical artists. When my father was in Haiti, he was the lead singer for Ibo Combo, one of Haiti's early compa jazz bands. My godfather, Alex Tit Pascal, was also a member of the band. Their classic, La Vie Musicienne, can still be heard on the radio in Haiti and has been performed by countless Haitian artists all over the world. Unfortunately, I never formally studied music and most certainly did not inherit my father's great vocals. Back then, my dad's favorite radio station played Motown, Billy Joel, The Carpenters, and Lou Rawls in our living room. But in the bedroom I shared with my little sister, I listened to Michael Jackson, Tracy Chapman, The Cure, Lenny Kravitz, hip-hop, and of course, DC's infectious go-go music. My sisters and I never saw it coming. But lo and behold, slowly but surely, our parents had become Jehovah Witnesses. Petites Mizami. They got baptized and everything. Well, I had resisted much of the teachings of my parents' newfound religion. Something about it never really gelled with me. Beyond the hills and valleys of my Christian rearing, my gypsy nature traveled into otherworldly tributaries. As a child, my fascination with the spirits began with the seasonal visits of my aunt, Tante Rosemary. She was our family griot, the samba. She was the young, hip, single auntie with no children of her own. She traversed both worlds with ease, able to parlay with the gramun, the Haitian adults, and also able to hang with all of her nieces and nephews because she knew all of the R&B songs and the latest hip hop dances. In our world, there was no one else like her. Right about now, you're about to be possessed by the sounds of MC Rawface. 
Unbeknownst to my strict Christian parents, whenever she came to visit, Tati connected my sisters and I to songs, dances, and rituals of a taboo voodoo culture. My aunt did not always explain things, though, in typical Haitian fashion. For instance, Tati never discussed her altar, safely tucked away behind wooden cabinet doors. Her altar was a kaleidoscope of candles, printed imagery of saints, lace, rosaries, white linens, Florida water, and that bottle of Haitian rum. This was her private space where she connected with the creator, the deceased, and other spirits. I did not always understand her prayers and songs, but I could not interrupt her and demand a translation, so I just kept quiet just like any savvy kid knows how to do while we're in grown folks' business and they kind of forget that we're there. Tati allowed me to sit in communion with her. She buried her soul there, her face wet with tears and her emotional pleas for assistance illustrated a very dynamic, full-bodied way of communicating with the unseen. I had never seen anything like that in the kingdom hall. The JWs that I knew never got down like that. But Tati kept it real with them, the unseen. I never forgot that. Tati would also lavish my sisters and I with amazing and at times frightening. I mean, very frightening. I don't know what it is about Haitian adults. I think they like to scare children. I think their intention is to make sure that we're scared and so that keeps us in line. But anyway, I digress. Her stories were also empowering, and they were all about voodoo. She first told us this very special story when I was about eight or nine years old. I remember my heartbeat spiking rapidly as I tried to grasp all that I heard. I could hear the drums, the varied African rhythms, the shouting, the singing, and fervor of that powerful night of ceremony. I remember her saying that Papa Legba, guardian trickster of the crossroad, is always called upon to open the gateway between heaven and earth. Almighty God who created the earth, who created the sun that gives us light, God who holds up the ocean, who makes the thunder war, our God who has ears to hear. Bon Dieu qui fait la terre, qui fait soleil là, qui clére nous. Bon Dieu qui secoue la mer, qui fait l'oreille gronder. Bon Dieu nous qui gagne oreilles pour tendre. Ou même qui cache dans niage, cap garder nos cotoyer là. Où est toute sa blanc fensibi? Dieu blanc yo, yo mande boisson nous. You see all that the white man has made us suffer. The white man's God directs him to commit crimes. 
but the God within us wants to do good. Our God, who is so good, so just, orders us to revenge our wrongs. It's he who will direct our arms and will bring us victory. It's he who will assist us. We all should throw away the image of the white man's God who is so pitiless. Listen, my sisters and brothers. Listen to the voice of liberty that sings in all our hearts. Aibobo. I learned that those were the famous words of Bukman Dati one of the leaders and high priests during the significant voodoo ceremony in Congress known as Bois Kaima. That thunderous night of August 14, 1791, his compelling prayer under the Grand Mapuchri was a proclamation for all of the prisoners of war, Africans kidnapped from their native homelands and those born into the degrading system of chattel slavery. He demanded that those present recognize their current traumatic conditions would end only if they embrace their African culture, their African traditions, and their African gods. Bukman Dati knew. Cecile Fatima, the high priestess Mambo Asogwe, who led the voodoo ceremony, knew. And the other 200 or so present that fateful night, the generals, captains, soldiers, maroons, and the enslaved. We, Yotsutkone. They all knew that the continued worship of the white man's God would only deepen their physical, mental, and spiritual bondage. Battle cries were made Cecile Fatima invoked Ogu Ferai and Ursuli Danto. These gods, two of the most powerful black gods of justice, united in their spiritual marriage, agreed to guide and protect their faithful followers to glorious triumph over the tyranny and terror of slavery. Strategic blueprints were created, instructions were given, sacrifices and promises were made. This historic Congress consecrated the commencement of the Haitian Revolution, the only successful rebellion of prisoners of war, formerly enslaved people in the history of the Americas. After 14 years of fighting, losing countless men, women, and children in this fundamental struggle, the day of redemption arrived. (laughs) 
King Jean-Jacques Dessalines pronounced Haiti's independence from France on January 1, 1804. Our voodoo gods and ancestors had indeed answered our prayers. Aibobo. I was enthralled and proud to be connected to these powerful black heroes and heroines. In all of my schooling, I had never heard a story like this one. Black gods who were married? Honoring our ancestors and our culture could make us strong like Popeye when he ate his spinach? Word? She needed to say no more. I was hooked. I became grounded with the fundamental understanding that voodoo was at the heart of black revolutionary theology and liberation in IET and throughout the African diaspora. So I asked my aunt, voodoo helped us to become free, right? So why is it considered bad? Tati replied, Oui, chérie, voodoo c'est bon, mais où qu'on est? Her reply of, yes, dear, voodoo is good, but, you know, was just too ambiguous. What did she mean, you know? I didn't know, but my curiosity demanded that I find out more. And so began my career as an early anthropologist. I wanted to know what made voodoo taboo. Why would my ancestors in IET and Africa believe in a tradition that was evil, as portrayed by many historians, theologians, and the global media? And was Tati's altar connected to voodoo? And if so, why was it behind closed doors? The powerful retelling of the legend of Boakaima captured my imagination. And though I did not fully understand all of the effects of slavery and colonialism at that time, I became quite critical of Christianity, much to my parents' dismay. At a young age, I saw beyond the Judeo-Christian lens that proliferated the way so many formerly enslaved and colonized people experienced the world. I knew that those European slavers and their warped practice of Christianity had deprived my kinfolk of their way of life and from freely worshiping their gods. There is a tremendous irony that the old myths and legends of Judaism and Christianity spread through biblical texts, songs, and oral histories are also based upon the liberation and redemption of persecuted people. Stories are told of an all-seeing and merciful God who granted the Hebrews exodus from a tyrannical Pharaoh. And this same God allowed his only begotten son, the benevolent Jesus Christ, to die in order to liberate mankind from sin. Yet the followers of this Judeo-Christian faith formerly oppressed themselves, dogmatically rejected the tenets of their own faith due to their erroneous concepts of ethnic superiority and their repugnant financial greed. With their lack of accountability, lack of kindness, lack of universal love professed in their teachings, they justify the murders, rapes, and continued torture of black children, women, and men for centuries. And those same Christians who benefited from the institutions of slavery and colonialism came face to face with their inevitable demise when black men, women, and children, free 
of the spells and curses that had been cast upon them, connected with their African gods, and fought to the death for their inalienable human rights. Justice, freedom, liberty, that belongs to all of us, regardless of our skin color, of our religious affiliation. For those who are not atheists, proof can be found all around to support God's omniscient existence. But let's be clear, the first place that God resides is within our imagination. And it is there that we initially personify our deities. But what happens when your most intimate space, your imagination, is policed? What happens when your gods do not look like you? What happens when your joy, rhythm, magic, and connection with nature is misunderstood, labeled as backward and evil by thieves, murderers, rapists, and self-righteous xenophobes? Who is labeled as right? Whoever's white? Who is blacklisted and becomes crazy, lost in a fugue state, endlessly searching for God outside of themselves? The price for living the lie of assimilation is that you have to continue denying yourself and all of who you are to make others comfortable. Coupe tete boule kai. And I'll say it again. Coupe tete boule kai. Cut the heads and burn the houses of all that no longer serves you. And from those ashes, watch as the phoenix rises again. Within the deepest part of ourselves, we want to rise. We seek a deeper knowing. We seek godliness. Oh, rise, beloved, rise, because we are gods. I am forever grateful to my aunt, Tante Rosemary, gifted my sisters and I with a deeper consciousness and awareness that we had gods who were black like us. She told me many, many times that our ancestors always had our back and stand with us whether we acknowledge them or not. Because our ancestors are not dead and gone. They are buried in every gene, every cell, and in our very own DNA. Tati's personal narratives and her spiritual practices created an insatiable thirst to dig deeper into my voodoo roots. And as a daughter born on the other side of the water, I found my circumstances were really not that unique. I am one of many in a growing number of descendants of enslaved Africans and African immigrants who are historically connected but often are not socially permitted to acknowledge or participate in traditional African religions due to familial or historical prejudice. Much of what we learn continues to be tempered through the lens of our family, who have strong religious biases, whether they're Catholic, Seventh-day Adventist, Pentecostal, Jehovah Witness, or whatever. We emerge out of households where we are taught to be proud of our blackness, but not voodoo, no, never that. Many of us are warned to stay away, but then we have these vivid dreams and receive prophetic messages from the spirit world. It's important to note that many of our family members who practice or practice have become jaded due to fraudulent and malicious actions of people, priests, practitioners, or whomever. 
And so many of us are taught to fear voodoo and not to love it. I believe that we all have a right to worship and praise in our own fashion without fear of persecution or alienation, as I said earlier. And trust me when I tell you that there is much about voodoo that I will never understand or sometimes even agree with. It remains a mystery. Voodoo is racine. It is nature. The story of Boakaiman reminds us to never turn our back on our African gods, right? Upon my aunt's death, she handed the baton of responsibility to me to continue honoring our ancestors by learning and preserving voodoo's cultural traditions. My research and spiritual travels around the world seeks to honor my aunt's legacy by sharing the beauty and the power of voodoo with others in the same loving fashion she shared it with me. And so I'd like to close this first edition of Voodoo Roots with an old classic straight out of my father's eight-track collection. Music has a way of filtering and deepening our experiences like no other art form. Stevie Wonder says music at its essence is what gives us memories. And the longer a song has existed in our lives, the more memories we have of it. So as I said, I like to take liberties to repurpose songs. And sometimes they're old love songs and explore them within a new context. Please take a listen to the lyrics and consider the words from another perspective. Take it away, Lou. Voodoo Roots, a love story musical, was produced through the Brick 2018 Podcast Fellowship. Much thanks to Brick, Brooklyn Free Speech, the fabulous and also patient Mark Pagan, community radio specialist, the helpful Daniel Johnson, chief engineer of community media, the talented Atibon Nazaire for his voiceover as Bookman Dutti, and to the kind and generous Zulu Faude for his technical support. All of the music played on the show belongs to the artists and various publishing companies. I especially want to thank you for listening. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Regine Romain, and stay tuned for updates via my website, www.reginerome.com. And until we meet again, my friends, peace and blessings to you all. Aibobo.